Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Wednesday, March 10th, 2021, people. I hope all of you are doing well, and you should be doing well. Because last year, Wednesday, Champ Week, It was the final day we had of college basketball all season. So to come full circle, to be preparing for the back end of my favorite week of the year for the NCAA tournament next year, so much to be excited about, so much to discuss today. And we'll actually get to not only some college football, but a little bit, not only college basketball, but a little bit of college football as well. We'll open with this Gonzaga game that happened Tuesday night. They nearly lose. Closest game that they have played in months. Does it mean anything? Do they stink? Is it time to be worried? Are they overrated? Do they suck? Like many people on Twitter will tell you, we'll talk about all that. We will then transition to uh, just kind of a fun, loose topic about the most interesting storylines heading into the back half of championship week. Cover the major stuff you need to know heading into Selection Sunday. Number one seeds, bubble teams, the Kentucky-Duke debate. What do those teams have to do? Stuff like that. We will take a quick break, and then we will come back. How about a little bit of college football here in Champ Week? I I will very briefly touch on the Les Miles news uh, because – Les Miles a little bit of a creep. I don't know what to say there other than that. Uh, And also kind of that crazy audio that came out about Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Rush Propes, the high school legendary coach uh, in Georgia, saying some not nice things about Nick Saban and Kirby Smart's recruiting tactics. So loaded show, busy show. Before we get started, want to remind everybody, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. If you don't normally listen, now is the time to get subscribed. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, uh, and new episodes will be delivered straight to your sh- to your phone. It's going to be a fun couple weeks. It's going to be a busy couple weeks. We're going to have prizes. We're going to have giveaways, a lot of cool stuff, so make sure that you are subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Really does help us move up those iTunes charts, and make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions for the show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. And with that said, people, 
No more time to waste. So much to get into. And as I said, it's Champ Week, baby. We are here. And the big story since I last recorded, I should mention, by the way, if you did not listen to Monday's show, it was a banger, as the kids say. Go back, listen. I previewed all the major conference tournaments. It didn't feel like it was necessary for me to, to break down Carolina Duke and Michigan, Michigan State. What does it mean? Michigan lost to Michigan State. Oh, it means nothing. Michigan's awesome. And Michigan State's playing really well. So I previewed all the conference tournaments on Monday's show. Let's talk about what has happened since. And the biggest story is, of course, Gonzaga. They have played their conference semifinal and their final, uh, beating uh, St. Mary's in the semifinal, and then playing in the final against BYU in, in what was unquestionably their closest game and their toughest game probably since the out-of-conference portion of the season. They were actually down at halftime. They were down by 12 points at the half. They outscored BYU 12 points in the second half. It kind of shows you how incredible this Gonzaga team is. Uh, because they end up being down 12 at the half and still winning by 10. But despite all that, um, quite a few people, oh boy, the hot takes were a-flowing following this one. And by the way, I'm a total idiot. They were actually uh, down 12 at half, then outscored BYU by 22. That's how you end up winning by 10. If they outscored them by 12 in the second half, it would have gone to overtime. But they outscored them by 22 in the second half. But my, oh my, oh my, following this game were the hot takes flowing. Oh my goodness. This is proof they stink. Look at them. BYU's a fringe NCAA tournament team. If they can't destroy BYU by 200 points, then that must mean they stink and they're going to lose and they're going to get upset because they always get upset in the NCAA tournament. And so I want to talk about this game from a few different perspectives because I think most of you who are longtime listeners of the show know where I stand on Gonzaga, know that I don't believe that they're overrated or underappreciated or anything like that. But I've done that spiel so many times that I don't want to bore you to tears with it because I've done it again so many times. So instead, what I do want to do is I want to acknowledge the Twitter trolls. I want to talk about the Twitter trolls that say, Gonzaga stinks. This is proof they're going to lose. And what I will tell you is what I tell you all the time. Two things can be true at once. I don't think because BYU, which is trending to be an 8-9 seed in the NCAA tournament, played Gonzaga tough for a half, it means that Gonzaga stinks. But I do think that BYU did expose the one thing, my biggest cause for concern with Gonzaga, um, uh, going into this NCAA tournament. And it's a cause for concern that I've had. I've talked about on this show. I've talked about in other places when people ask me about Baylor versus Gonzaga. And so because of it, let's get into that. And, and the, the cause for concern is this. If you can match Gonzaga shot for shot at least for a while, you can beat them. Because the one complaint I have about Gonzaga, okay, and, and it's interesting. So on Thursday's show, I actually have Pat Bradley from the SEC Network. Awesome interview. We interviewed, we recorded late on Tuesday, and one of the things we talked about was Gonzaga versus Baylor. And I said this, I truly believe right now Baylor is the best team that I have seen in college basketball. And it's because they are totally locked in on offense, phenomenal on offense, and totally locked in on defense. And I bring it up as it pertains to Gonzaga because this is my one big concern with Gonzaga. They are so insanely gifted on offense that I think sometimes they just think of, of uh, 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 the defensive side of the court 
as a, a hit or miss. If we play defense tonight, cool. If we don't, who cares? We're so good offensively that we can just simply outscore people. And I do believe if they do lose in the NCAA tournament, which I absolutely think it's possible, it will be because of that. It will be because they don't come locked out. They don't come out locked in defensively, either fall behind or a team gets hot. And unlike against BYU, they can't make up a lot of points in a short amount of time because they're playing a team like a Michigan, a Baylor, uh, or whoever, who can go score for score with them, uh, but also plays really good defense. And so when I look at Gonzaga, it's interesting. I heard Jay Billis say this probably about probably the f- couple games into the season. I don't remember exactly when he said it. I want to say it was maybe the West Virginia game. And I think Jay Billis says there's a lot of hot air coming out of Jay Billis, but he does say some really poignant stuff sometimes. And what he said was that this Gonzaga team reminds him of the 2008 2009 North Carolina Tar Heels and for people who are not college basketball historians that North Carolina team was loaded they won the national championship but they were the team with Tyler Hansborough who was a senior Ty Lawson who obviously had a long NBA career Danny Green who's still in the NBA Ed Davis who's still in the NBA Tyler Zeller who played in the NBA uh, Wayne Ellington who had a long-term NBA career and what Jay Billis said about that North Carolina team was essentially exactly what I just said about Gonzaga that they were so gifted offensively that they didn't really feel like they had to play defense and that is what I do see with Gonzaga sometimes now some of you might be asking me well Torres if it's that easy just make a couple buckets and and go score for score with them early why hasn't anybody done it it's because Gonzaga is so good they force you to play their game and I think that teams have gotten lulled into trying to play Gonzaga's game and you get out of your rhythm, you want to slow it down, maybe you think that you're going to play at a slower tempo, and then all of a sudden, you get a couple wide open threes, and you think, oh my goodness, I can't pass up a wide open three, you miss them, Gonzaga comes down and makes them, and all of a sudden, before you even know what hits you, Gonzaga has forced you to play their game, and you're down 18-2, to and you don't even know what happened. That has happened in so many Gonzaga games this year, I can't even tell you. Not just against bad teams, by the way, but good teams. That is what Gonzaga did to Virginia. Virginia, if you watch that game, it was Virginia playing completely out of style, and we wondered who would dictate tempo. Virginia really slow, Gonzaga really fast. It was Gonzaga really fast. Gonzaga jumped on them, beat Virginia by 25, and all of a sudden, Tony Bennett takes the worst loss of his career. Iowa, it was much the same. Gonzaga comes out. They're maybe a little bit more locked in on defense. They get a couple stops. They hit a couple buckets. All of a sudden, Iowa's down 12, 15, 18, 20 points in the first half. And yeah, they cut it to 11 before the game was over, but it was never that competitive. And so when I look at Gonzaga, that has always been my thing to me. If somebody can just go score for score with them early on and not get blown out in the first four or five minutes, they're going to have a chance to have a game. And that is exactly what BYU did. Now, they got a little uh, sloppy in the second half. They turned the ball over a little bit more. Um, They stopped making threes at an insane clip. I think they were shooting 72% or something like that at halftime of the game. They could not miss, and things slowed down. But I do think 
if you believe Gonzaga's overrated, or at the very least, if you do not believe they will win the national championship, I do believe that BYU kind of gave out the blueprint. That blueprint isn't necessarily hit every single shot like they basically did in the first half, but instead what it is is if you're going to try to play Gonzaga's pace, you have to be able to score early because if you don't, you're going to get buried. And so to me, the team that will beat Gonzaga does have to be one that is very, very, very dynamic offensively like BYU is, but also one that can get stops. And when Gonzaga does inevitably go on their run, like they did, they went on an 11-2 run to start the second half, went on a run late, you can withstand it because you can get defensive stops. But I do think the teams that are most likely to beat Gonzaga are the Michigans, the Baylors, the really, really good teams on both ends of the court. Looking ahead, I would say a couple things with this Gonzaga thing, with this Gonzaga game. One, I do think that this was a good thing for Gonzaga. Mark Few said as much. Uh, I have talked about it on this show. It was interesting. I had Sean Farnham on about three weeks ago. Farnham is incredible. He is great at what he does. And he's covered Gonzaga more than anybody else, at least in the national media, was at more of their games this year than maybe anybody. And he and I actually disagreed on this. He said, why do they need to be challenged? Why do they need to be tested? Why do they need to lose? They, why can't they just be great? Well, I kind of felt differently. I did feel like it is important to be challenged, to be tested, uh, to, to have your back against the wall late and to have to make plays. You don't necessarily have to lose, but you can't be untested late in games in a tight game. Gonzaga was tested. They were the better team. Jalen Suggs on Monday night, Tuesday night, was the best player on the floor. There's a reason he's going to be a top five pick, and he completely took over that game. And because of it, I do think it was a good thing for Gonzaga. I'll tell you this. You know who else thought it was a good thing for Gonzaga? Mark Few. He talked about it in the postgame. He said we needed a game like this. We needed to be challenged late. As I've mentioned on this show, there was a reason that he tried to uh, schedule a marquee out-of-conference game late in the season. I told you on this show, I know it for a fact. They had a deal done with Houston, and Houston backed out at the last minute. There was a reason Mark Few wanted to play that game. It was to be challenged. I know it's not quote-unquote marquee in the 2020-2021 season, but John Calipari came out and said there was discussions about bringing Gonzaga to Rupp Arena last week during the back half of the week when Kentucky did not have a game on the schedule. That one fell through, but I bring all this up to say that I think that Mark Few, I know Mark Few, said because he said in his post-game press conference, thought that they needed a game like this. As we wrap up on Gonzaga, let me just say one or two more things. The first one is, can we please stop with the fact that, oh my goodness, they struggled against BYU. This must mean they suck. Now, I do think, as I said a minute ago, that I do think that BYU kind of showed that they can be beaten, that they are not flawless, and that if they don't come out more locked in against better teams defensively, then they can absolutely lose in this tournament. But I am so tired of arguing and debating about Gonzaga because here's the bottom line. First of all, don't tell me they didn't play anybody, okay? Because I'm looking at the most recent top 25 poll that just came out on Monday. They beat the number five team in the country, Iowa, by double digits. They beat the number 10 team, West Virginia, by five points when Jalen Suggs got hurt. They beat the number 11 team, Kansas, by double digits. They beat the number 16 team, Virginia, regular season champ, by 25 points in the ACC, regular season champ. They beat them. So one, do not tell me they don't play anybody. And please, can we just stop this narrative in general? Outside of this year, 
They played, as I mentioned, Virginia, Iowa, Kansas, West Virginia this year. Previous years, they've played and beaten North Carolina. They were one of the few teams that beat Duke when Duke had Zion. They've beaten the crap out of Arizona. They've beaten the crap out of Oregon. They've played Michigan. They've played Creighton. So don't tell me they don't play anybody, and don't tell me they stink. And by the way, for the love of God, can we please stop with the, well, they choke every year in the postseason. Here's the deal. This run started in 1999. This will be, I believe, their 22nd straight uh, NCAA tournament appearance. They've made 10 Sweet 16s over that stretch, okay? Uh, that is more than my alma mater, UConn. Now, UConn has obviously won a couple national championships, four to be exact, hate to brag, during that stretch. So it's not as though UConn's coming up empty-handed. But they have made it to the second weekend more and more often than UConn has in the last 21 years. They have made it to the Sweet 16 more than Louisville since 1999. They have made it to the second weekend more than Syracuse. So stop with that they choke all the time. And what I would say on top of that, people would say, well, they only have one Final Four berth. Well, one, Final Fours are really hard to get to. But two, they weren't really this version of Gonzaga until about six, seven years ago where they were really recruiting players that could play at any school in the country. Jalen Suggs could play anywhere. Corey Kispert can play anywhere. Andrew Nemhard obviously started his career at Florida. They weren't this version of Gonzaga until about six or seven years ago when they started getting real NBA players. Dematis Sabonis, who was an NBA All-Star this year. Rui Hachimura, who's playing well. Brandon Clark, who's playing well. The guys on this year's team are playing really well. And they really were competing at that elite level. And since then, guess what? They are the only team, as I've said many, many, many times, to make the last five Sweet 16s in the last five NCAA tournaments that were played. They're the only team that's made the second weekend all five years. They have made three Elite Eights over that stretch. The two times uh, that they lost uh, as number one seeds in this stretch, they lost in 2015 in the Elite Eight to Duke, who won the national championship. In 2017, they lost to North Carolina, who ended up winning the national championship in the Final Four. And I will say in, 28, in 2019, excuse me, they did take a loss, oh my goodness, to Texas Tech, who played for the national championship game and was 20 seconds from winning a national title. So it's not as though they're losing in the second round as a number one seed year after year after year. But I will say, this is their best shot and this is their best chance to get the monkey off their back to win the national championship. My final thought is this. It's going to happen eventually. So if you are one of those people, oh my God, they don't play anybody, it's costing them, they have no shot, I'm just warning you, at some point you're going to look stupid. And I brought this up on Twitter, and people probably got mad at me because it, it, it debunks a narrative, but these conversations, you know who else people used to say, oh, their conference stinks, they'll never win because of their conference? Um, I could tell you. It was UNLV in the 1980s. You can find the articles. There were articles written about UNLV in the 1980s. Their conference stinks. They're not good enough. to. They'll never win it all with the conference that they play in. They need to leave their conference. They need to play better competition. Well, guess what? 1990, they win a national championship. 91, they're one of the greatest regular season teams of all time. And they are revered now 25, 30 years after they played as one of the great programs and great teams in the history of college basketball. I'm not saying Gonzaga will ever get there. I'm not saying they're going to be that team. But what I am saying is that history tends to repeat itself. And so if you're one of those people, and at this point I haven't convinced you, I'll never convince you. But if you're one of those people, oh, they stink, they'll never win it. I'm not saying they're going to win it this year. I think Baylor's the best team. We'll see what happens in the next three weeks. But at some point you keep knocking on that door, knocking on that door, knocking on that door, you're going to bang it down. I've, I'm old enough to remember when Jim Calhoun couldn't win the big one. 
Then, ironically, he beat Gonzaga in the Elite Eight in 99, wins a national championship. When Roy Williams couldn't win the big one. Funny what happened. He had a good team at North Carolina, bangs on the door, bangs on the door, bangs on the door, ends up winning a national championship in 2005. Now he has, what, three of them, four of them? I can't even remember. I, I lost track. He's got so many. John Calipari, never going to win the big one. 2012, Anthony Davis, he wins the big one. So we'll see what happens with Gonzaga. I don't want to talk about it anymore. You guys are tired of hearing me talk about him. But nice win. I do think if you're one of the other 67 teams who could face them in the tournament, there was a little bit of a blueprint, and will be interesting to see if they can keep up the defensive intensity because they are going to need to to win six straight games to beat the Illinois, the Baylors, the Michigans of the world. All right, I do want to transition very quickly uh, to just the rest of conference championship week because I've said it many times. I think this is my this is my favorite week of the year. NCAA tournament first weekend, it's great. This year, it's a little bit different. It starts on a Friday. But NCAA tournament, first of all, you only get the, the, the best teams, they only play twice. Well, teams only play twice. You play in the first round, you play in the second round. You're generally playing a really bad team in the first round. Maybe you get upset, but the really good teams advance. Conference championship week, here's what's great about it. Everybody plays pretty much three times, sometimes four, maybe two, but mostly three. And on top of that, you get them playing against better competition. Michigan or let's use Illinois as an example. Illinois is going to open on whatever it is, Thursday, Friday, against potentially Michigan State, an NCAA tournament team, like in an 8-9 game. They win that, they're going to have to beat Iowa in what would be basically a, an Elite Eight game. Then they play Michigan, going to have to win a Final Four kind of game. And so for me, I love this week. Let's get into it. Let's talk about some of the biggest stories, and then we'll talk a little less miles and get out of here. As I mentioned, Pat Bradley, SEC Network, will actually join me on Thursday's show. Really fun preview of the SEC Championship. Uh, and he's just got some great stories from playing in Arkansas, all that stuff. In terms of storylines going into this week, what I would say is number one is the number one seeds, right? Start with the best. Uh, to the victors go the spoils. Well, guess who's had a lot of victories this year? Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Illinois. Can anyone topple them and get a number one seed? And I hate to spoil the party, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening because, one, I think there's a legitimate talent gap between those top four. I have said it. I've tweeted it. People got mad at me. I think there's a significant gap, talent gap between those top four teams and everybody else. Um, but then on top of that, I also look at teams that are projected to be two seeds, and I just don't know that they can do enough this week to get themselves up to the one seed line. Gonzaga obviously clinched the number one seed on Monday, on Tuesday night with winning the conference tournament. Baylor, listen, Baylor could lose their, their Big 12 tournament opener. They are not not being a number one seed. I don't think Michigan can do anything. I guess in theory, Illinois, if they lost their opener to Michigan State, maybe that opens the door for somebody else. But again, not only do, does Illinois have to fall, somebody else has to rise up, and I just don't see it. Uh, you look at Houston. Houston is currently projected as a two seed. They have, a, they have one really bad loss on their resume to South Florida. Other than that, they've been pretty spotless, but I don't think the combination of having a couple bad losses, Tulsa and South Florida was the really, or excuse me, East Carolina, not South Florida, was the really bad one. I think the combination of those bad losses with simply not enough good wins, I just don't see them getting up to that two line or the, to that one line. Alabama, it's kind of the same deal. It's funny. We've been talking about how bad Alabama is the last month. They're 7-3 and three over their last 
10. Their only three losses were to teams that are going to be in the NCAA tournament all on the road at Arkansas, at Oklahoma, at Missouri. But I, I, I think you look at the early season Alabama's another one. They took a loss to Western Kentucky early. They took a couple losses that maybe aren't as bad now as they looked at the time. Obviously, losing to Clemson doesn't look as bad now as it did maybe in January or in uh, November, excuse me. But you lose to Stanford, who's probably on the wrong side of the bubble, even though you got the best version of Stanford. I just don't think they can get in. Ohio State already has eight conference losses. I don't think they're getting to the number one seed line. I guess if, in theory, they beat Michigan and Illinois, they could get up to a number one seed, but I don't see it. And it's kind of the same with Iowa. Iowa is the one that I do think they're 20 uh, and seven right now. They do have some really good wins. If Iowa could, in theory, run the table at the Big Ten tournament, beat Illinois in the semifinal, beat Michigan in the final, I think then you probably have a compelling case that Iowa is the fourth number one seed. Illinois falls down to the top two seed, but I just don't see it. Because of it, I think question number one in conference championship week, will any of the number one seeds change? I just don't see it. Question number two, um, Duke and Kentucky. And I know it's tired, and I know it's boring, and I've, I listen, I've been talking about Kentucky since they lost to Richmond. And I'll just tell you straight up, um, both of these teams are in interesting spots. Both of these teams have work to do. I don't know if it's quote-unquote a credit to Duke, but they did beat Boston College in their ACC tournament opener. So they survived to play Louisville on Wednesday night. And listen, I, I said it on Monday's episode. If you missed Monday's episode, go back and listen. I do believe that Duke not only had to beat Boston College, I think they got to beat Louisville, and I think they got to beat Virginia Tech, which would be on Thursday night in the quarterfinals, to, to seriously be considered for an at-large berth. At that point, they'd be 14 and 11. They'd be in the ACC semifinals. Remember, to win the whole thing, they got to win five games in five days. But to uh, get into the NCAA tournament picture, I believe they have to beat Louisville and Virginia Tech. It's worth noting, and this is kind of interesting, I heard Joe Lenardi basically say on Tuesday that he believes if, if Louisville does lose to Duke, that they may end up on the wrong side of the bubble and they may be sweating until Selection Sunday. So if you want to talk about a potential loser gets knocked out of the NCAA tournament picture game, I don't know that Louisville is necessarily knocked out, but I think it would be a really, really, really big blow. So get ready for a fun game between Louisville and Duke on Wednesday. Uh, and then there's Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky, look, I, I've, I've said it many times, but I think it's worth repeating. They have competed with everybody in the SEC. Now, I don't think they're going to win the conference tournament. I'll take it a step further. I think their toughest game might be against Mississippi State to open this conference tournament. Mississippi State is, is tough and physical and is going to get in Kentucky. They're not going to let Dante Allen do what Dante Allen did the first time these two teams played. And when I look at, at Mississippi State, they probably might have the two best players on the floor with DJ Stewart and Iverson Molinar. But at the same time, on the flip side, we have to acknowledge that Kentucky, like when they're ready to play, they're ready to play. Um, and so, like when I look at this Kentucky team, I've said it before, but it's worth noting. Look at the top of the standings in the SEC. Number three team in this tournament, LSU, Kentucky beat. Number four team in this tournament, Kentucky beat Tennessee at Tennessee. Number five seed in this tournament, Florida. Kentucky won at Florida. Number two seed, Arkansas, came down to a bang-bang play. Arkansas gets the call. They win the game, easily could have lost it. Alabama. Kentucky was up four at Alabama late in that game. And so because of it, again, I don't think Kentucky's going to win, but I don't think it's inconceivable that they make a run. 
I actually think Alabama, weirdly, they kind of match up okay. Alabama kind of has a little bit of that Gonzaga feel to them that I just mentioned of if you can just run Alabama off the three-point line and keep them in front of you defensively, uh, I think you can keep them in check. It's not easy, but it can be done. I mean, Vandy went score for score with them earlier this season. So I don't think Kentucky's going to do it, but I don't think it's inconceivable, especially we know they're going to have a home court advantage in Nashville. There's going to be a lot of blue in that building. Really curious to see if they can make a run. As far as the other big teams, I, I, I think Michigan State is pretty comfortably in. I don't think it would be the worst thing for them if they were to, to take a win in their first game of the conference tournament. Kind of the same with North Carolina. They open on Wednesday night against, uh, I don't even remember who, I think that I think it's Notre Dame. Um, but, it, you know, North Carolina I do think is pretty comfortably in, and I'll tell you this, I would not want to see them in the 8-9 game of my uh, bracket if I am a number one seed. Really quickly, question number three on top of the number one seeds, Duke and Kentucky getting in, I think to me is who is going to emerge this week as a legitimate final four, like the hot team that everybody is going to pick in their bracket? And we all know there's a couple names that are immediately coming to mind. This Arkansas thing is real, man. Ten straight SEC wins, ten wins in their last 11 games. Uh, and again, I have Pat Bradley on the show on on Wednesday or Thursday, excuse me, and we talk a little bit about it. I, I thought this team would be good. I thought they'd be a tournament team, but the idea that they're now ranked in the top 10 is unbelievable. One, it's a testament to Eric Musselman, but two, like th there's real talk in Arkansas that this team can get to the Final Four. Now, I do still think they're a tier below those top four teams, but you never know what happens. Arkansas, the way they're playing, might end up on the two line if they win the SEC tournament. You get to the Elite Eight, you might not even have to play a Gonzaga, a Baylor, a whoever. And so Arkansas, are they the team that rips through the SEC tournament and all of a sudden they're a three-seed or a two-seed and people are saying, oh my goodness, I'm picking them to upset Gonzaga. I'm picking them to upset Illinois. It could happen, and I think it'd be interesting. They will be likely without Jalen Williams, which is worth noting. Jalen Williams is really important to what they do. Another team, I mentioned Arkansas has won 10 of their last 11. The only team they lost to, Oklahoma State. I, I still, and I've talked about them about seven shows in a row, I still think Oklahoma State is maybe the most underrated team in all of college basketball right now. This is a team that has won seven of their last nine. Their only losses were at Kansas and at Baylor. They swept Oklahoma during that stretch. They swept Texas Tech this season. They beat Arkansas in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. It wasn't the same Arkansas team, but it's still really, really, really impressive win. Uh, and oh, by the way, they just won at West Virginia on Saturday without Cade Cunningham. So you look at this team. Would it shock me if they potentially made a run in the Big 12 tournament? It wouldn't. They would have to go through West Virginia and then Baylor, but they just played both teams in the last week and played them tough. So that is a team that I'm looking for in addition to Arkansas. I just mentioned the other one, West Virginia. They've won four of their last six. They did lose their, uh, two of their last three, but it was because they were playing Baylor and Oklahoma State, two of the best teams in the country. And I look at this West Virginia team, and I still think with the right matchups, man, like, like they can score. They can go score for score with a lot of people and give a lot of people tough, difficult games and matchups. So that'll be fascinating to watch. Um, you know, I mentioned Alabama a few minutes ago. I do find it interesting Alabama's another one. Like, I'm just telling you, I, I find it fascinating with Alabama that we, um, you know, we talk about how, how they haven't been the same team the last month, six weeks, and like, Nate Oates says the same thing, so I'm not going to say that, that if Nate Oates says it, it's wrong, but for all the criticism, they're 7-3 and three in their last 10, and their three losses were at Missouri, 
at Arkansas and at uh, at Oklahoma. Those are three NCAA tournament teams right there. Those are the only losses they've had in the last four, five, six weeks. By the way, big controversy today about Nate Oates, SEC Coach of the Year. I think it was probably the right decision. He won the regular season title. I know they weren't great down the stretch. I know Musselman turned things around late. But I only bring it up to very simply say that this team is probably playing better than just about anybody realizes. From there, is there anybody else that could make things interesting? I don't know that there's anybody in the ACC. I don't know that there's anybody in the Big Ten that we haven't talked about. Maybe the Pac-12, USC, they're an interesting team. Colorado, I think, is actually a very good team that people don't realize. Uh, but that's kind of the, 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 the question there. Uh, a couple other questions. You know, the COVID thing is real. Kansas is going to be without a couple key players. Does anybody else have any COVID issues in the, the conference tournaments? And what does it mean for the NCAA tournament? But my final question, my most important one, and it's what I led the show with, is how much are we all going to enjoy this week? Because I go back to this week last year. This is my favorite week of the year. There was zero doubt about it. And on Tuesday of last year, so literally a year ago tonight, I left for Vegas for the Pac-12 tournament. But I left for Vegas because I had an interview with Bill Walton for this podcast, the Aaron Torres podcast. And if you're new to the show, I did interview Bill Walton last year in Vegas at the Pac-12 tournament. It was awesome. You can find it on YouTube. If you go through my archives from last March, you can go back and listen to that episode. But as I was preparing for that Bill Walton interview, the world around me was swirling. And it was kind of crazy because I had I almost went to the Gonzaga game last year at, at the conference tournament. Um, but I had to interview Bill Walton. And so I bring it up because I just remember preparing for that interview and thinking to myself, should I ask Bill Walton a question about this coronavirus? Because I bet he would have something interesting to say. And I decided not to because I'm like, eh, one, what is Bill Walton really going to say? But then two, I was like, eh, this, is, God, this is an overrated story. Like, I did think at this point last year there was the reality that there was going to be no fans in the stands at the NCAA tournament. I didn't think the tournament was going to get canceled, though. Um, and so I look back at last year. I look back at what was taken from us. And I look back at how awesome this week is and how important it is to so many of you, so many people in general who just love college basketball. I know so many of you were on your way to a conference tournament. I still vividly remember getting DMs and texts, you know, from, uh, you know, all sorts of fans. Hey, do you think the, you know, I'm an Indiana fan. I'm going to the Big Ten tournament or um, I'm a Kentucky fan. I'm going to Nashville for the SEC tournament. Do you think they'll allow fans in the stands? What do you think is going to happen? And so to see where we were a year ago, um, it's just incredible. It's just incredible how far we've come. I am so, so, so happy. And that is my biggest question for Conference Championship Week. How much are we going to enjoy this, people? Because this was stripped away from us. Let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy the crap out of uh, the NCAA tournament next year. All right, I was going to take a quick break, but uh, screw the break. Let's just go straight through the break. All right, I do want to get to a couple football topics to kind of end the show, and I don't think any of them are like, like earth-shattering stuff that I had to get to, but the first one is Les Miles, and I will tell you point blank, straight up, many of you did reach out to me on, uh, not many, but a few of you reached out to me on whatever it was, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, when the Monday show came out, and, oh my God, are you not going to talk about Les Miles and it was like, well, a couple things. I mean, one, it is college hoops, like the heart of college hoop season. And so because of it, I don't want to say that I'm like brushing it under the rug, but I have to serve my audience. And right now my audience wants to talk college hoops. 
two, as I recorded Sunday into Monday, it was still an active kind of uh, internal investigation at Kansas. He had been put on administrative leave, but he was still the head coach at Kansas. And three, it was just a topic that I don't really know that there are really two sides to that warranted like me going crazy in depth. And when I say that, what I mean is that that when I do this show, I like to talk about stuff that's either super, super, super relevant um, or something that has two sides to it. So like super relevant is Alabama wins the national championship. What does it mean? Is Nick Saban the greatest coach of all time? What is this? What is that? All that good stuff. On the flip side, there are topics that I think are really compelling because they have two definitive sides to them. Uh, John Calipari, is he going to uh, turn things around at Kentucky next year? There are two definitive sides to that. Some of you think, hey, this was a one-off year, COVID, weird deal, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Others of you think, man, this recruiting thing has passed him by. He's no good. He hasn't made a Final Four since 2015. So there are two definitive sides to that. With the last mile story, I didn't really feel like, especially on Monday's show, that there are really two sides to it. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a perfect person, but I think all of you kind of know what Les Miles was accused of, and it ain't good. There aren't two sides to a, a, a guy in his late 50s, early 60s uh, texting and DMing uh, women that are 20, 19, 21, 22 years old. Uh, that's not okay. That will never be okay, especially when the person is married and especially when those people are his insubordinates. So the reason I didn't really talk about it is because what am I going to say? Does anyone think that what Les Miles did was okay? Does anyone think it's appropriate? Of course not. So I didn't really talk about it, but I did think on Monday night, now that Les Miles has officially been fired, now that frankly his coaching career, certainly at the very least as a high profile head coach is done, it probably is worth discussing because whatever you think of Les Miles, these last few years at Kansas and even those last few years at LSU, the bottom line is he is one of, frankly, the iconic coaches of most of our lifetimes. I mean, most people listening to this show, probably somewhere 40s, 30s, 20s, Les Miles is a guy that, that is about as relevant outside of Nick Saban and Urban Meyer as anybody in college football over the span that we've been fans. So he is done. Let's talk about it. And let's get into some of the details because, again, I know a lot of you, you've been running around, you've been focused on college hoops, you don't have time to, to look into all of it. But essentially what you need to know is kind of exactly what I said. This story really dates back to 2013. Uh, Les Miles was at the time at LSU. And an internal investigation was done at LSU into a number of different things. And one of the things they found was that Les Miles had been, frankly, again, inappropriate with female workers that were students that were subordinates of his. Um, and what's interesting about it is many of you are probably wondering, well, why didn't LSU do anything about it? Well, the LSU AD actually did do something about it. When the, the, fi when the findings were done... Um, he basically said that he believed that, that, um, that Les Miles should be fired. This is an exact quote from an email that Joe Oliva, the AD, sent at that time. I always believe that people are innocent until proven guilty, and in this case, I believe he is guilty of insubordination, inappropriate behavior, putting the university, athletic department, and football program at great risk. I think we have cause. I specifically told him not to text, call, or be alone with any student workers, and he obviously didn't listen. I know there are many possible outcomes and much risk either way, but I believe it is in the best interest in the long run to make a break. The court of public opinion would favor us. The courtroom, on J July 2nd, we will know more, but the facts will remain the same. Thanks. 
So that was a direct quote from a direct email from LSU's AD back in the middle of 2013, basically saying, look, I told him not to do this. I told him not to be inappropriate, and he did not listen. And so if we fire him in the court of public opinion, we will be okay because obviously people will be frustrated, but when people find out the reason that he was let go, they will understand that this was the only decision that the school would have to make. Um, and there was, but, but obviously the school decided not to make that decision, and he references uh, the court of public opinion versus the actual courts, and I think the insinuation there is that he wasn't sure that they would be able to win a court case and that they would owe Les Miles a pretty substantial buyout. And so whether it was because of the buyout, whether it was because at the time Les Miles was still a very successful head coach, um, they did not fire him. And when I say successful coach, it's worth noting. This report came out in 2013. Remember, January of 2012, 2012, excuse me, so about probably a year or so before this report came out, LSU played Alabama for a national championship. That was the year of the 9-6 to game where Alabama lost at home, then re re got revenge in the national championship game. But the combination of Les Miles being really successful, and it appears as though, this is just me reading the AD's emails, believe that they could not get get a they could not get the buyout done or they would have to pay him a buyout it led the school to keep him what's especially ironic about it is never forget that Joe Oliva was a guy that came under huge fire and was actually a disgraced AD when he left LSU in large part because of the way he actually did fire Les Miles several years later it had nothing to do with these allegations but instead uh, if you remember they were getting ready to fire him at halftime, uh, Joe Oliva's like rallying the, the boosters. And then Les Miles goes out and wins a game, beats Texas A&M. The players carry him off the field, and they ended up keeping him for another year. And then, oh, by the way, guess what? Les Miles came back the next year, started one and three, and they ended up having to fire him anyway. And so because of it, it is ironic that this Joe Oliva guy, the former AD at LSU, wanted Les Miles out. The school overruled him. And then when he actually fired him for, frankly, just not being a good enough football coach, it was a weird, controversial, bizarre situation. So that is from LSU's perspective why it did not happen, why he was not fired when this 2013 report happened. And it is worth noting, you know, USA Today and a couple other people were able to unearth these reports over the last week or so. That is why it has become a relevant topic right now. But all of Les Miles' actions do date back to 2013 and LSU. And I think it leads to the broader question of, well, why did Kansas hire this guy? If this report was done, if LSU's AD and school president are emailing back and forth about it, why did Kansas hire him? Well, first of all, this is actually maybe even more interesting because Jeff Long is, of course, the AD at Kansas. He came under a lot of fire at his previous stop at Arkansas. He was the guy who hired Brett Bielema, and then when Brett Bielema sucked, they basically had to force Jeff Long out uh, along with Brett Bielema. But he lands at Kansas, and he lands at Kansas in large part because he has a background running a major athletic department with football being the emphasis. And Kansas, obviously, at the time was in the middle of about as successful a run in basketball as anybody can have. But because of that, um, he was brought to Kansas to kind of fix the football team. And what's the first thing he does? Calls up his old buddy Les Miles uh, to, to become the head football coach. And the two had known each other from their time at Michigan many, many years ago. And what is especially interesting about how Les Miles ended up at Kansas is this. 
it is that Kansas did not hire a search firm to hire Les Miles. Now, why is that important? You've heard me talk about search firms on this show, and in large part, I make fun of them because for the most part, they're useless, and in a lot of ways, they are, what's the right word to use? They are, they manipulate the system. There is uh, inappropriate stuff that goes on with these search firms because essentially what happens is a search firm places an AD at a school, and then the AD has to hire the same search firm uh, to pick his next, or his or her next football or basketball or baseball coach or whatever, and it ends up becoming a weird nepotism thing where you have to take the, the candidate that the search firm recommends rather than the actual best candidate. There are also just other times where you're doing a favor to your buddy at the search firm. I referenced uh, Danny White in Tennessee a few weeks ago. Danny White was the AD at Central Florida. He goes to Tennessee. He hires a search firm, pays him whatever it was, 30, 40, 50 grand. I can't remember. 100,000, I can't remember. And they go out and hire the same coach that he was just working with at UCF. So what was the search firm doing? Investigating a guy or doing background on a guy that Danny White should have known everything about since they had worked together for the previous, whatever, three, four, five years. But there is, even though I've kind of crushed search firms on this show, they do serve a purpose. And that purpose is probably exactly what we're talking about here. And that is that the search firm, their goal, their job is to actually vet candidates. And their job is, while they will obviously recommend people that they want, is to make sure there's nothing sketchy going on in the background. So while I've been critical of these ADs using search firms and paying them ungodly amounts of money, let's be honest. They do have a value, and because Kansas did not get a search firm in this case, they could be in big, big, big trouble going forward. And so because of that, as we look forward to what's next, I do think the most interesting dynamic in all of this is um, what is going to happen next at Kansas. And I think, I think the first thing, excuse me, I just knocked my headphone off the side of my head. Uh, I think the first thing that's interesting is I think Kansas is going to be in, in position to get a new AD soon. When your only major hire, when you were basically brought in, excuse me, to hire a great football coach and get the football program rolling, and the guy you hire not only stunk but was a creep and you should have known about it, uh, that doesn't look good on you. It especially doesn't look good on you when you fired the previous guy, took him to court over his buyout, and did not win. You look stupid doing that. That was David Beatty, for people who may remember that. And oh, by the way, the Kansas basketball program, not sure if you heard, and a little bit of hot water. That all happened before Jeff Long got there, but it doesn't matter. That it doesn't change the fact that this athletic department is largely, frankly, just a, a mess right now. And so I would expect Jeff Long to be gone. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I don't think he's going to be around very long. Uh, secondly, when it comes to Kansas in this whole situation, I think that's it for Les Miles. I mean, Les Miles was already having enough trouble kind of, uh, you know, gaining support and, and getting a job opportunity after he left LSU. Remember, he left LSU in 2016, didn't get hired at Kansas until the winter of 2019, which means that he, he went through three whole hiring cycles before he actually got hired for a job and it just so happened to be the worst power five job in the country now I don't know what it's going to do for like Les Miles big picture legacy like 
I still suspect when LSU celebrates that 2007 national championship team, they will have him back. When they celebrate the 2011 SEC championship, they will have him back. And listen, time heals all wounds, right? I mean, Bobby Petrino got multiple other jobs after essentially doing very similar things to what uh, Les Miles did. But I do think him being in his mid to late 60s, like I think his time as a major college football coach is basically over. Now, what's going to happen when he leaves the facility? I don't know, because I can't imagine his wife is very happy about this, but that's another conversation for Les Miles to figure out. And then finally, the last thing, which might be the most relevant to a podcast like this, what happens next to Kansas? And I don't know, because one, we got to figure out, are they going to let the current AD hire the new coach? Are they going to let the, the, the next AD hire the new coach? But what I will say is it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what kind of candidates are interested in the job. I think you can legitimately make the case that Kansas is maybe one of the two or three hardest jobs in all of Power 5 football. And I think Vanderbilt is probably the toughest. There are some other ones, you know, Washington State, Oregon State, um, you know, wherever, fill in the blank. But this job, Kansas, is pretty high up there. I mean, they haven't made a bowl game since 2009, which is kind of incredible. Uh, when you think about the fact that there's like a billion bowl games right now and they haven't had a winning season or made a bowl game since 2009. So I don't know who's going to be interested. Now, I will drop a couple names on you guys just because I think this process is going to play out here over the next couple weeks. The first one, the guy that I would go after is a guy named Lance Leopold, who is currently the head coach at Buffalo. I talked a little bit about Lance Leopold when Danny White was hired as Tennessee's AD because Tennessee's AD Danny White was previously at UCF, but he was also previously at Buffalo. And he was, of course, the guy that hired Nate Oates in basketball, Bobby Hurley in basketball, and Lance Leopold in football. But Lance Leopold's a really good coach. This was a guy that started his career at the D3 level, won six D3 national championships at Wisconsin-Whitewater, goes to Buffalo, one of the worst programs in, in college football, FBS college football, and they've won two division titles and gone to three straight bowl games. And he has largely had a ton of success uh, at Buffalo. And he's been his name has been rumored for a bunch of these jobs, Illinois, um, some of the other ones. But I think he'd be a good fit. I mean, when you're at Kansas, you need a major program builder, a guy that can rebuild stuff from the top on, or from the bottom on up. And I think a guy that's won six national championships and knows what a championship winning program looks like. That's probably not the worst guy to hire for that job. Now, it's a lot different uh, trying to win a national championship at Kansas, and, and maybe the goal should be just to consistently get to bowl games, but that would be the guy that I would go after if I was them. The other one that seems to be interesting and gaining a lot of steam is Jeff Munkin, the head coach at Army. He has had a ton of success at Army, all things considered. Two 10-win seasons. Last year, they went 9-3, and three, which was kind of incredible. Remember, they were one of the few teams that played a full schedule of games in this COVID world. They had games getting canceled, games postponed. They were scheduling games on a week's notice. I loved everything about Army and what they did this year, and I think he'd be a great fit for Kansas. Now, the question becomes, after you've been playing kind of a whatever Les Miles was doing at Kansas, Jeff Munkin does run the triple option. Is that really the right fit in the Big 12? Is it really the right fit for the personnel? Um, you know, is he going to be interested in coming? Is the school going to be interested in basically needing another two, three, four years to get the personnel in to run the system that the coach wants? I don't know, but it is an interesting time at Kansas. Les Miles is out. You guys said, why didn't you talk about it yesterday? Well, now I talked about it. 
Last little football topic, and we'll get out of here. And this one is really just like, I am just not going to spend a ton of time on it. But did you guys see the Rush Probst uh, audio from the other day? For people who do not know, kind of like just a dynamic, interesting story. Rush Probst, who, of course, uh, he's actually a maybe one of the most famous high school coaches in America right now, if not the most famous, started at Hoover High in Alabama, was the head coach during the famed two-a-day show when Jeremy Pruitt was, I believe, his defensive coordinator. But since then, he's had kind of a wild ride. He actually, this is kind of one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. He was actually about to get an assistant coaching job at Alabama when Nick Saban first got there. And then Nick Saban found out that he actually had like a second family. This is a true story. You can look it up. It's insane. Um, but this guy was a was a super successful high school head coach. He had, you know, kind of his wife and, and kids in the community. And then he had his wife and I believe other kids in another community somewhere else. And so it came out, Nick Saban didn't hire him. I believe he was fired at Hoover High School because of it. But this is all true. You can, if you Google Rush Probes, you know, second family or whatever, it will come up. Um, but since then, he's relocated to Georgia. He's had a ton of success. And apparently, uh, you know, he's going through some stuff over the course of the last couple weeks uh, or, you know, previous time. He's at, he's in Valdosta, which is obviously a very successful football community the high school football team is really good Valdosta State at their level is really 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 good um, and so in this conversation somehow uh, the conversation veers to like how recruiting is done in the SEC and there's really interesting audio with him talking to a guy from the booster club basically talking about hey well this school does this that school does that and they reference specifically Georgia and Alabama and basically, the, the genesis of the conversation was that since Kirby Smart has gotten to Georgia, the price of everything has gone up. Uh, Kirby Smart came to southwest Georgia, and that was important, apparently. Not southeast Georgia, southwest Georgia, riled together, wrangled together all the, the biggest name people in the area, the most wealthy people in the area, and said, hey, if we want to win national championships, we got to up the ante on recruits, and we got to up the ante on how we take care of our players and uh, apparently this audio was recorded. It was leaked. Nick Saban, Alabama were also referenced. So for Georgia fans, don't get on me because I only mentioned Kirby Smart. But the reason I'm not going to spend too much time talking about it is because, like, I don't think you guys care that much. And it's really interesting how all this works, right? Is I I've said for years, I think society in general is over like the extra benefits thing now I believe I am a person and you guys know this is that I do believe you have to play by the rules I do believe if you get caught you have to be punished I always use the analogy um, yeah maybe college athletes deserve more but if you get caught paying one you got to pay the price for it uh, Rick Pitino was he really doing anything that different than anybody else well except for the strippers I don't think the Brian Bowen deal was all that different than what everybody else was doing, but Rick Pitino got caught. He lost the job at Louisville. Um, and so to me, I, I've always thought for years that the paying players kind of conversation is not like juicy or spicy, and that's kind of why I'm burying this at the end of the show. Um, and I, I, I've actually kind of always thought the, 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 the story that I think changed everything for what it's worth, now I'm just going on a tangent, was remember the Nevin Shapiro story at Miami? He was the guy that basically was funneling money into Miami football during their glory days under Larry Coker, and essentially during that national championship run where they were competitive every year, uh, you know, Vince Wilfork was there, all these guys were there. Um, Nevin Shapiro was the guy that funded basically everything, and he'd take them out on their boats, and there'd be strippers, and 
Uh, supposedly he paid for like an abortion for a couple of the players. And it's like once he got boosters paying for abortions, I don't really think like a couple, you know, thousand dollars going to recruit is that big of a deal. And then I think the FBI thing really kind of sealed it. it was like, OK, the FBI got involved, but like. I, like people want justice for Sean Miller and Will Wade, and we'll see if it's coming. Because as I told you last week, I don't know if Sean Miller's ever going to coach at um, is ever going to coach at Arizona again. But I only bring it up just to say that this story came out, and I just didn't feel like it had the juice that I would have expected when you're talking about Alabama and Georgia, two of the biggest brands and biggest names in college football, um, supposedly. Um, you know, being involved in this kind of behavior. But again, it's just, it is what it is. Um, I thought it was interesting, the direct reference they made to Nick Chubb, which was that Nick Chubb, supposedly when he decided to come back for his senior year, was given upwards of $100,000. Now, these are all just dudes talking, not even knowing they're being recorded. Um, but But I just think it proves that if this did happen, there's a lot of different ways to get the job done. You can pay recruits. You can pay recruits' families. You can pay an AAU coach. You can pay an AAU coach, um, you know, uh, um, whatever, a couple, you know, thousand dollars to to bring a kid on an unofficial visit, or you can pay an AAU coach a lot more money to get him to commit to the school. Uh, you can pay parents, as I just said. You can get parents a job. I remember this is dating back to the '90s. Coach K. Uh, was found to have helped parents get jobs that they were not overqualified, that they were not qualified for, or at least he was accused of it. I don't know if he ever officially got caught, so I'm not saying he did, but like, this is kind of what happens in college sports. And you guys know I've been in favor of name, image, likeness. I use my likeness to make money. Um, I, you know, I have sponsors on this show, Bracket Fanatics. Go to bracketfanatics.com. And, um, you know, I'm not opposed to name image likeness, but like to me, uh, this was another one. Like, are you going to talk about it? Like, I mean, what do you want me to say? Like, like, I don't think like any of these guys are, or any of these programs are 100 percent clean. And I still think at the end of the day, I do think and maybe this will make me unpopular for saying it like Nick Saban gets the best players. Maybe there's some stuff going on that he doesn't know about. But at the end of the day, he gets the best players because the best players know if I want to go to the NFL and I want to be prepared and I want to win at the college level, the best place to do it is at Alabama. So maybe something else will come out of this. Maybe Kirby Smart gets fired or Nick Saban's scandal. But until then, um, you know, it just kind of is what it is. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Great episode, fun episode, lot to get into. It is a fun time of year, and I appreciate you guys joining me. Great show, so much fun. Before I get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are, in fact, subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram. Make sure you find the YouTube page where this Les Miles clip is definitely going up because that was a fun one. Uh, And that's really it. That's all for today's show. Should be a fun show on Wednesday. I'll get back into some of the preview stuff for conference tournaments. Also, as I record here late Tuesday, the plan, Pat Bradley. SEC Network, my guy, Uh, he's a wild, he's a trip, dude, he's a lot of fun, he should be joining me on Thursday's show, but we'll see what happens there, that is all for today's show, shout out to Torrent Craig, shout out to Rachel who hates my voice, and I will be back tomorrow.
with a new episode of the Aaron Torres Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.